This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Closing in on one week to go, perhaps, before the... uh the rescheduled opener of the 2020 Major League Baseball season, and we welcome you into the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show. Hey, everybody, I'm Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra in New York City. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, July 15th, so depending on when we record next week, this could be the last episode before we get some kind of baseball back uh, in the professional ranks in, uh, in this country in an affiliated sense, which is pretty dang cool. How you doing, Sam? Good, good. I, I will say this. I'm we haven't talked about this, Tyler, but we will schedule some sort of major league preview next week, I think. Um, so the, consider this a tease for that. Like, you know, loyal listeners of this show will know every year we do a season preview podcast. It's a big thing. We bring on Kelsey Hennigan. We bring on Josh Jackson, uh, two of our favorite coworkers every week. Uh, and we do predictions. And maybe we'll do that next week, but it'll have to be different. Like normally we try to predict the Bauman Home Run Award winner. And it's a running joke that Josh Jackson picks Casey Golden to win every year right casey golden's not gonna lead not the gonna, majors in home runs be able but to make it happen this year we'll have to get a little bit more creative uh next week but we'll do something like that we'll preview the major league season through the the scope and the lens uh, of minor league baseball and prospects but uh it's crazy to think like you know for how many times this summer have we done interviews with players on this very show where they've said, you know, we're just trying to stay ready for baseball. Whenever we get the call, we want to show up ready. And now all of a sudden here we are eight days out from a quasi opening day. I mean, it is technically opening day, but it's it's not going to feel like a true opening day in late July. There won't be fans there. Um, rosters are going to be as big as 30. It's, it's going to be a definite different feel. But it will be baseball, and it will be baseball that counts. So, yeah, there's there's going to be tons to preview, and we'll get to that uh, hopefully next week. But if you're listening to this, you know, maybe just before that, happy baseball, happy opening day, happy Major League Baseball opening day. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts to think about after all that we've been through this summer. Yeah, and uh, and are still going through. And uh, wherever you are, we uh, thank you for joining us, and we hope you're safe and and healthy, and uh, continue to all of the things that the smart people in the world are telling you to do. So wear a mask and wash your hands and keep your distance, and uh, help us all to get sports back and the things like it. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully, we can provide you with a, a laugh and a smile on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, a guy coming up in a little while. Who, if you are a San Diego Padres fan, you'll definitely get some laughs and some smiles from. Uh, left-handed pitcher Ryan Weathers will join the show coming up here and um, he could be one of the guys that we uh, would highlight for our first conversation today which is uh, summer camps are open across the country in major league ballparks and in secondary facilities where 60 player pools have arrived uh, in every major league organization 
to take part in the run-up to this uh, strange and truncated 2020 baseball campaign. Um, but there are a lot of guys in a prospect sense who have really opened some eyes and kind of put themselves in uh, in the conversation in the early couple of weeks of summer camp. Sam, what have been the, the biggest storylines that have stuck out to you from a prospect perspective? Yeah, I mean, we had last week on the show Julio Rodriguez uh, to talk about Mariners camp and his expectations for that. And uh, I feel like every day I've been checking in on Mariners camp just to see how things are going, because it feels like every day they're having a new prospect do something. Uh, J-Rod hasn't quite yet stood out in the same way, but he got started a little later than some of the other big names. But Jared Kelnick, I feel like every time I check his highlights, has hit another home run. Uh, Earlier this week, he hit two in one game uh, playing up there in Seattle in a major league park going up against major league arms. It's getting to the point where Seattle fans are legitimately asking, can this guy be on the opening day roster? Um, would that be too soon? I mean, I, I want to say yes, it would be too soon, but it, it, we are in a weird world right now for many reasons, obviously. Uh, but in a place where you can't just send Jared Kelnick to, you know, triple A Tacoma or double A Arkansas or something and ask him to get at bats there. Those aren't available. So if you want him to keep hitting homers and keep producing and keep seeing live action, the best chance he's going to get to do that is at the major league level. Now, I don't think he's going to be there on opening day. They've had Kyle Lewis is doing very well as well. He got off to a really hot start. You know, we don't have stats for summer camp, but it seems like he was homering every day as well. He's got to take up an outfield spot. They have other outfielders there in Seattle who need at bats. So Kelnick might be put on the back burner, but if he keeps doing this, he keeps pushing the envelope and showing like, I'm not scared of the big stage. I'm not scared of, of going against experienced arms. Um, and maybe we see him by the middle of August. I mean, that's not out of the question. If they want to continue his development, maybe that's the best way to do that. Uh, that's really what summer camp is for some of these guys right now. Uh, you know, the guys like Gavin Lux, who I know just reported to Dodgers camp, he seems to be on track for an opening day place. Like that, those guys were not worried about. Luis Robert homered while falling down, which was one of the coolest things to see yeah. in summer camp so far. Uh, but we always expected him to be on the major league roster. It's these guys who aren't going to get minor league experience because the season is canceled that I'm paying more attention to. Um, so Jared Kelnick doing that Riley green, Riley green's not going to play in Detroit this summer. Let's just get that out of the way, but might've had the catch of the summer already uh, might have the catch of the entire season. He, he was playing left field for tiger, the tigers in an inter-squad game went back on a shot by CJ crone, jumped over the wall, arm fully outstretched, pulled it back. Um, the fact that we have access to this stuff and we can see it is amazing. And I applaud all the teams that are actually streaming their games um, and providing those highlights quickly. Uh, it's a real chance for us prospect watchers who don't get to watch MILB TV right now. We don't get to follow multiple levels. It's a, our chance to check in on these guys. So getting to see a Riley Green uh, Rob job like that was amazing. And especially for somebody like him coming off the spring, he was really hot in major league camp on the spring training side. Did really well there, and everybody was surprised about that. But that was with the bat. Riley Green, a lot of his value right now is in the bat. But with him showing a glove like that, it just gives Tigers fans another reason to get excited, potentially for 2022 when he actually makes his major league debut. But the fact that they're giving him at bats is super exciting. Uh, Forrest Whitley, I did a tool shed on him last week with the Astros. Coming off a really rough 2019 for him, he really struggled with command at times. Uh, he showed up to camp this year, adding a, a good amount of weight. Hopefully, you know he had shoulder problems last year. Hopefully, adding the the weight 
would add to his durability. That was the thought. And as he started to pitch more and more this summer and, and try to stay ready uh, for a potential major league debut at some point in 2020, realized he actually pitches better when he is a little leaner. So he dropped 30 pounds from the spring. Uh, he feels like he's more athletic based on the results I've seen. And he threw in another game at Minute Maid Park just yesterday. Uh, based on the results I, I've seen, he's hitting his spots much better than he did in 2019. He he's throwing all of his pitches basically for strikes. I think the changeup is just a, a get a pitch right now, but his curveball and slider, he said he's really happy with it where they are. The Astros, obviously they're built to compete this year. Uh, they had hoped he was going to debut last year, so it's not out of the question that he could get some sort of innings this year, whether it's as a an elite bullpen arm or maybe as their fifth starter. We'll see. But the fact that they were, allowed him to pitch at Minute Maid Park for the second time uh, last week and they continue to get him featured in intra-squad games is, is really promising for Forrest Whitley at a time when we had a lot of questions about him coming off 2019, that really uneven year that ended on a high at the Arizona Fall League. So the more answers we get with him, the better. Hopefully that continues. Right now they're working out of the University of Houston. They'll move to AA Corpus Christi, uh, that alternate site at some point. But keep an eye on that guy as well. Um, but, yeah, Tyler, is there anybody in that what you've followed so far, uh, prospects that – we should be following even more so or have like popped up on the radar just since summer camp started. Well, the thing that I think I love the most is prospect situations uh, as groups. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Seattle's a perfect example. The guy we're going to talk to coming up here in a little bit, Ryan Weather, San Diego's a perfect example. Um, it seems like <clears throat> major league teams have gone – kind of one of two ways with this which is either we're looking at a 60 game major league season uh in the 60 player pools how are we going to juggle things for the prospects for the minor leaguers either an organization has gone uh, a route where they think let's go with our, our most established guys and we'll worry about the major league thing uh and the minor leaguers are are sort of their own um separate part of the equation or Let's pack as many prospects into these groups as possible. The Padres' top 14 prospects and their first two draft picks uh, from 2020 are in their 60-man player pool. Uh, the Mariners, I believe, are the, the same numbers or 13 of their top 14 prospect-wise, something like that. Um, but the the embrace of adding young guys to the mix with some of these organizations that's been uh, very fascinating to me to see. And what I I hope is, uh, you know, by 2021 and beyond, we're back to some sense of, of normalcy in the world. And it's going to be fascinating to see those stories that come out in a few years of what this experience was like for the young guys who got to be part of it. You know, for the Jared Kalanicks or the Julio Rodriguez's or even the, the Ryan Weathers is, uh, of the world, who are guys who would not be uh, figuring out uh, a major league routine for another few years in their careers. This thing speeding them along in that regard, even if it is uh, kind of a, a manufactured way to do so, it'll be fascinating when those guys do reach the big leagues as regulars sometime soon um, to see what this experience how it factored into all of that for them that overarching theme of all of it has been the one of the most intriguing things of summer camp so far in 2020 to me yeah and one other name i want to throw out there is joe adele um it feels like every day we hear like oh yeah this guy's basically ready like there's no reason why he shouldn't be in a major league outfield right now it sounds like mike trout is giving him tips on the outfield all the time those two are gelling really well playing next to each other and that's only happening because the angels are bringing joe adele in they're letting him get that major league time at at uh at the stadium 
and being next to Mike Trout and, and fitting into the puzzle because in a normal spring training scenario, they would be like, okay, we know you're not starting with the team. You're going to go to the backfields to make sure you get your at-bats. That's not possible right now. There's no place for him to do that other than the major league stadium. So maybe Joe Adele is pushing up his timeline with the opportunity the Angels are allowing him and the opportunity, you know, capital T, these times are allowing him in a way. Um, I'm sure that's a great point you make, Tyler, about like years from now. It might be years from now until we know the full story, but years from now, this is this is going to be a crucial point in the development for a lot of players. And uh, the organizations, the way they are treating those players and either bring him, them into the fold or not is going to be a huge determining factor in the strength of the, these farm systems, not only now, but for years to come. And uh, with that, we'll pivot to one of those guys who has been uh, really intriguing so far in the start to this summer camp portion of the 2020 Major League calendar. Ninth-ranked prospect in the San Diego Padres' loaded organization, Ryan Weathers, joins the show next. As an official partner of Minor League Baseball, Nationwide is here from life's first pitch to the seventh-inning stretch. Whether you're looking for protection for your house, car, pet, or small business, Nationwide offers a wide range of products and support to make sure you're getting the right coverage for your specific needs. Visit Nationwide.com for more information on how we can help take care of what you have today and plan for what's ahead. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company, Columbus, Ohio. San Diego Padres organization opening up uh, camp with uh, a group of its top 14 prospects included in its 60-man player pool for 2020. And uh, one of those guys is the ninth-ranked prospect in the San Diego organization uh, and a guy who is uh, already making an impression around Padres camp. That is left-handed pitcher Ryan Weathers who joins the show. Ryan, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How are y'all? We're great, man. Thanks so much for doing this with us. We uh, we could tell as soon as we asked you how San Diego was, uh, it came through pretty uh, pretty clearly just how much, A, fun this has been, uh, getting a chance to get back out there and uh, face your teammates and, and be in a competitive setting, um, but B, just how cool it is to get this opportunity and be in San Diego. What have the last couple of weeks been like for you? Uh, it's a lot, a lot of baseball, a lot of being at the hotel, but... Uh... You know, just the baseball part, just being back around the guys, you know, that we've been in this organization with, you know, that's been a lot of fun. And just getting to be with the big leaguers, that's just been, you know, most of it's been just been a dream come true. This, uh, the situation for the Padres, I mean, we know how good that system is. And uh, for their approach to the 60 man player pool, uh, they really just said, let's throw every possible prospect we can into this group. Uh, top 14 prospects in the organization named that 60 player pool. And two guys who are not on that group uh, because they were just drafted in June Robert Hassel and Cole Wilcox, outfielder and pitcher. Um, to be part of this group right now, like you've been in the system now for a little while, uh, being a, a select election in 2018 in the first round but now being shouldered i mean i guess not figuratively because of social distancing but shoulder to shoulder with all of these other prospects uh in a situation like this what has that dynamic been like for you guys uh you know it's just a chance uh it's a chance for us to all be competitive it's, it's a fun competitive group because you know you want you want the best for each other and uh you don't want anybody to fail so you just continue to push each other and, uh, you know, you realize just being out here in San Diego, like, man, I want to be out here. Like, this place is amazing. 
And, uh, you know, just all of us getting to pitch the big leaguers, you know, all the pitchers, you know, me, Joey, and Cole getting to stretch with the big leaguers, just kind of picking their brains. You know, that's going to help us tremendously, regardless of what this season has in store for us going into next year. But, uh, you know, that's just been a lot of fun. And what was the process like to get you here? Because summer camp, um, you know, when – as everything was unfolding this summer in terms of what could Major League Baseball look like this year, and then we find out that summer camp's going to involve 60-man rosters, and a lot of teams are going to use that for prospect space. It goes from, oh, I need to be ready for a potential minor league season, which got canceled, to now all of a sudden, for you, you get to pitch at Petco Park. Um, What was it like watching that unfold and finding out that you were going to be brought in as a member of this player pool? Uh, it's exciting. I mean, you know, the organization views you as, you know, that you're very important to them. You know, they want the best for you. And uh, it goes for all of us. Like, everybody here, they want you here. And uh, they they look at you as potentially one day helping the big league team win games. And, uh, you know, just to right now in this summer, I don't know what it would be. But uh, can't really beat San Diego getting to pitch the big leaguers and being at Petco Park. So, uh, you know, just very grateful for that opportunity just to be out here and uh, just get, once again, just being around the big leaguers has helped just in two weeks so much, getting to watch their work ethic day in, day out, realizing, you know, watching pitching every, watching every game, you know, how they pitch and what gets guys out, what gets guys to chase and, you know, just all that, you know, it's just so helpful. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on this week is, is you got to pitch in Petco Park on, on Sunday. Uh, you gave a great quote to MLB.com when you said, I was fangirling when you were facing uh, some of the, the pitchers or some of the opposing hitters, specifically Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, but what was going through your, your mind when you take the mound in that moment? Because A, it's kind of for you just a way to get built up again. It's only two innings. It's a, a chance to show your stuff. But also you're pitching on a major league mound. You're pitching in front of the major league br- brass, the coaching staff, everybody. It's a lot different than pitching for Fort Wayne or Lake Elsinore, wherever you would be right now. Just what was going through your mind going into that start and as it was going along? Uh, you know, going into the start, you know, I just knew it was another baseball game. You know, don't don't try to do anything crazy. Don't try to do something you're not. Uh, just pitch your game. But, man, when you see those guys step in the box, you know, you just realize, like, you as a little kid, you know, you've always wanted to pitch against big leaguers. Especially, I know me, I've always pitched against big leaguers. And I know it's not a – it's an inter-squad game, but you see them step in the box, you're like, oh, that's, that's freaking Fernando Tatis in the box. Like, that's, that's Manny Machado. It's Eric Hosmer. It's just the list goes on and on. It's Will Meyer. And you're like, dude, I'm really getting to pitch these guys right now. And, like, it's not even, like, nerve-wracking. It's like, dude, this is awesome. Like – so I like, but eventually you're like, all right, Ryan, you, you know, you got to lock it back in. You actually got to pitch now instead of thinking all this other stuff. But, uh, you know, that's just been absolutely, it's been so much fun. It's just also good. To, it's a good gauge to see where you're at with your stuff. And, you know, can your stuff play at the big league level? Can you get guys out with what you have? Do you need to tweak stuff? And, you know, just the hitters where they're so helpful is, a lot of VPs after games, you know, they're in constant communication with us, like, you know, what they saw, uh, what was good pitches, what could get guys out. And, uh, you know, that, like I said earlier, that's just going to help us for our future. 
Yeah, and w- one of the standout things from that appearance wasn't just you getting major leaguers out, but with that stuff that you were able to do it with, um, you know, reading some of the things that went into that start, a lot of people came away with it surprised with the velocity you were showing, hitting as high as 97. How much was velocity a point of emphasis for you during the spring and, and the summer building up to this? And was it something on your mind of, hey, now is the time where I can show my velo is back? Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's nice to have the velo, but at the end of the day, you know, velo is the last thing on the list. You know, you got to worry about location, how well are you hiding the ball, you know, being a pitcher and not a thrower. Um, you know, it wasn't a point of emphasis. Point of emphasis, point of emphasis for me was, you know, getting my body right, getting in shape, getting my lower body strong, getting my core strong, and uh, didn't really focus as much on my upper body. Uh, just trying to kind of let my arm get back loose again and not having to worry about getting bulky or anything. And, uh, you know, this off season had a really good off season and, you know, it just happened. It wasn't, it wasn't like I worked on getting velocity, but just through getting stronger and getting in shape, uh, it, it just happened. And, you know, now for me, this is kind of new to me too. So I'm having to learn how to pitch with it. But uh, I mean, always number one location, you can, 95 to 97 it's good on a 3-2 count when you can elevate but otherwise if you don't locate it, it doesn't matter how, how hard they throw they can hit heaters and uh you know just keep working on continue to work on location just developing my off speed and then you know just see where that takes me Ryan, one of the quotes that really stood out from uh, AJ Casavell's story on uh, on Padres.com yesterday for uh, Friars fans who want to go read it, it's a really good piece. Um, Eric Hosmer said, uh, talking about you guys, the prospect group, he said, quote, those guys have been great. They work their tail off, and they're asking the older guys the right questions. That's the thing that really stuck out to me. What is it like for you right now getting a chance to be around so many guys in obviously such a weird and unique circumstance, but so many guys that you can learn from right now uh, in a way that would not have been possible on July 15th of a normal minor league season. I mean, who do you get to bounce questions off of? What kind of stuff are you trying to learn and, and soak up while you're there? Well, I think about a week and a half ago, I had a live VP. I faced Tatis, Mejia, Hosmer, and Profar. And, uh, you know, pitch, I was pitching to Hosmer, and I wound up getting him out. And, you know, I wanted to ask him, like, because in my head, what I had the sequence of what I wanted to do, you know, just to see where he was thinking of, too. And, uh, you know, he talked to me about, you know, elevating and then going soft away. Like, for a lefty, for me, that'd be deadly. And, uh, you know, just, like, little feedback like that. You know, then you're in PFP groups, and you're in PFP groups with Craig Stammen, Matt Strom, and Kirby Yates. And, you know, just they're a lot – they're older than us and wiser than us, and they've been in the game. They've been through the battles. You know, just ask them questions like – you know, when you get to this point in the game, you know, what pitch should you throw? If it's 3-2 count, bases juice, bottom nine, you know, what's your go-to pitch? Like, what are you throwing? And uh, just constantly just having communication with them. And, uh, you know, it's just super helpful. This circumstance right now uh, is – I think on a day-to-day basis, everybody is still kind of trying to figure out how it's going to work and what it's going to look like, not only uh, from the the Padres' standpoint, but for 29 other teams, too. Um, And for the the Padres right now, it's about a 40-player group uh, working for spots on the opening day roster at Petco Park. The the group primarily of prospects has been at the University of San Diego. What does a a day look like now for you? I mean, what's your schedule? When are you on the field? How do you structure, you know, things around that? Like you said, there's been a lot of time just being in the hotel but give us an average day over the last week or two weeks um so usually uh if you're so like today i have a bullpen so today usually bullpens are a little later 
because the non-throwers, you know, they want to try to have all the coaches together and with all the non-throwers and, you know, working with them. So, like, today, so today, for instance, I have to be at the field around two. Uh, I have a bullpen at four and then have about 25, 30-pitch pen, a little touch and feel, just kind of filling everything out, uh, do, some, do conditioning, do a lift, and then, you know, watch the game. Uh, for a non-throw day, usually get to the field typically around 11, uh, get some lunch, get get stretched, and then you take a bus over to USD at about 12, stretch usually around 12, then you just play catch, go through PFP, run, and then, you know, you call it a day and then go watch the big league game. And so much of what's going on right now in summer camps is just staying healthy. Um, in terms of your know, Padres instruction on what you guys are allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what you have to do at the stadium versus what you're not allowed to do away from the stadium. What kind of instruction are you guys getting to make sure that you're staying COVID free, germ free, um, making sure you're able to stay on your schedule and participate day in and day out? Uh, I mean, it's just really, it's just common sense stuff. You know, don't, don't go eat out at a restaurant. And if you do sit outside, but you know, if you want to eat, either order it, but you know, we really don't even have to worry about getting food. You know, they feed us three square meals a day at the field and it's absolutely awesome. So, I mean, and then like wear a mask when necessary, don't be dumb, don't go out to bars and don't go party and just common sense stuff that you shouldn't do anyways and uh you know just be safe wear a mask when necessary uh six feet distance um i mean just really all the stuff that you whatever you've seen on twitter is about the same stuff that we're doing fair enough it seems like common sense normally uh i want to jump back to last year ryan while we have you um last year was your first full season you spelt it spent it entirely with class a fort fort wayne um you know you pitch from April all the way through the end of August, but there was a spell in between there. Um, I read that, you know, you took a, a good chunk of May off with some arm fatigue. What was it like going through that period and coming out the other side, uh, trying to build up for your first, like we said, full season in which you were throwing 96 innings? Uh, you know, I was, very, I was very grateful as much as it sucked last year, going through that month of June and how bad it was just for, in my eyes, it was just absolutely horrendous. And, you know, why, why am I still going out here to pitch? But, um, you know, you're going out there to pitch and you're giving up six spots almost every time you go out there and you're like, golly, like, what am I doing wrong? Like I'm getting absolutely crushed every time. But, uh, you know, going through that little spell, I was glad I haven't had it happen to me in my first season facing that adversity of getting your teeth kicked in and having to get right back up and go pitch the, every, the next outing. And, uh, you know, I was very grateful for the, that experience. As much as it was bad last year, you know, going into this year, like I knew if something like that were to happen, I know how to cope with it. And, uh, you know, it just led into the off season. It just fueled the fire on the off season. Like, dude, you got to get to work. Like, if you're wanting to get to the big leagues, you got to get to work. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I don't know what's in store for me this year. Uh, but regardless, you know, I got to make each each day my best work day and make each next day better and, uh, you know, just continue to pick up on that. Yeah, and, and that stretch in June followed by that time off in May, how much did that fuel – you were talking before working on your conditioning and making sure every your body was right for a 2020 season. How much did that stretch fuel that fire to make sure you were in even better shape going into, you know, what in a normal year would have been your second full season? 
Well, because, I mean, you don't really realize, and, you know, until you play a full season, you don't really realize how long that season is and how many starts you have to prepare your body for. And, uh, you know, I first month, you know, went really well. And, you know, I wasn't really – I wouldn't even say conditioning that bad. I just wasn't taking care of my arm. You know, I wasn't doing the precaution I do now where I do a little contrast, a little hot cold just to, you know, give the arm a little break. And, uh, you know, then I really worked on my conditioning and, you know, just realized now I'm seeing the benefits of all the hard work I put in the off season. And, uh, you know, it just – it makes you – when you see yourself, you know, regardless of, you know, how I do, like I know each time I go out there I'm prepared for that outing. And, uh, you know, when you feel prepared for each outing, you know, it just gives you that confidence like, all right, today's the day to rock and roll. Like you've prepared all week for this, now it's time to go. And, uh, you know, you just, just got to keep doing that each week and, like I said, make each day your best work day. Brian, Sam wanted to, to take you back to last year. I want to take you back a, a little bit further. You are uh, the pride of Loretto, Tennessee, which I knew was a small town. I didn't realize quite how small it was, but population uh, listed, I think, under 2,000. And uh, a few years ago, um, I did some of the, the broadcasts for the U18 Baseball World Cup. You were on the, the USA Baseball team that won the championship uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, with a, a loaded group of fellow stars. And uh, I went back and dug out my notes on the U.S. roster from that because I knew that I had some stuff on uh, on your high school career. So these are numbers from your junior year. Uh, when you guys won a state title, you set a uh, Tennessee state record for most strikeouts in a state tournament with 28 in 14 innings. Uh, championship game, pitched 9-92 consistently, hit 94, changeup was mid-70s. At the plate, you went 9-4-11 with four doubles, two homers, five runs batted in, and six walks. Uh, but I think the coolest thing is you guys win a state championship, which was the first uh, for your school in any boys' sport ever. There was only one other state title, uh, which was the 1958 girls' basketball team, if I have this correct. What was that like, being a, a guy who's a, a leader on a, a program in a small town, winning a state championship for the first time? What was that experience like? You guys go to the state championship game again your senior year, but your junior year to have accomplished that. Tell us about that. Uh, you're giving me chills right now bringing back the state championship. But, uh, um, you know, it was just awesome because th- those guys, you know, I, I was really good friends, you know, obviously my junior class, but our senior class, we had some guys that had that weird birthday. So they were uh, they were the same age as us, but a year ahead of us. Hmm. But, uh, you know, you're just – you're raised with those kids and you've played with – you've played baseball with each other since – I think since we had been six years old. And, uh, you know, then you turn around and you're 32 and three and you're in a state championship game. And you win the state championship and you just realize, like, that is 12 years of work put into one game. And, you know, getting to win that, you know, having my dad with me, being our coach, and, uh, you know, just seeing all the fruit that we had put in, you know, just reap the benefits. And, you know, it was absolutely awesome. You know, I still think about it to this day. Uh, it was kind of a blur at winning it, but it's, it's probably one of the best baseball moments I've had in my career so far. Your dad, you mentioned um, being a, a coach and being there for those moments in your life. Um, he had a lot of big baseball moments in his life, too. Uh, Ryan's father, David Weather, 19-year big league career. Um, when you talk to your dad right now, this circumstance is unlike anything that any baseball player has ever faced. But, you know, in in essence, you are going to your big league affiliates ballpark. You're being in front of big league brass and being around major leaguers, major league coaching staff and all that. Uh, have you gotten a chance to talk to your dad much about 
how do I handle this at this stage? I mean, I was in Fort Wayne last year in Class A, and now I'm going to, to San Diego. What What's the, the conversation like for a circumstance like this when you have somebody like that that you can lean on? Uh, it's it's awesome. You know, I probably talk to him probably every day. Just for that that was usually if I was in if I was in rookie ball, I still call him every day. Like that's just that's just something I do. But uh, I think it was so I threw Sunday. I think Monday he already had video uh, and he was already dissecting the game with me of two innings and thirty pitches. So uh, you know, just having him is that constant outlet. You know, just to be there for you know, it's absolutely awesome. And, uh, you know, he just prepared me, you know, like, it's kind of like you're a freshman in high school, like, you know, be seen and not heard, you know, you just go in, do your work, put your nose down, work, and, you know, if, if they talk to you and, you know, talk to them, but, uh, you know, it's a little different, like, you can communicate with them, like, it's, you can ask questions, but, you know, just, you're low on the totem pole, you know, they're big leaguers, you're low on the totem pole, so, you know, you just do your work and stay out of their way, but do your work hard and uh, just keep keep working. And in those discussions with your dad and, and your discussions with Padres, pitching coaches, uh, and some of the feedback you're getting from guys like Eric, Eric Hosmer in terms of uh, sequencing and all that, what do you feel like is the next step for you? We talked about the velocity before and how you've taken a step there, but in terms of stuff, where do you feel like you can take another step here in the next coming weeks as you continue to work out of Petco and USD there in San Diego? Uh, I would probably say um, change up. Uh, change up is it's it's good, but um, you know sometimes um, like pitching the big leaguers, like obviously they're they're the best hitters at this sport. Uh, they're at the top of their game, so you know when you when you throw a change up, it has to be in the, it has to start in the zone area. If it's a ball out of your hand, they're taken. Um, so you know really just keep, continue to work on my change up and uh, get that consistency. Uh, Finally, with my slider, I worked on keeping the same shape and same velo every time. And, you know, it's come a long way, but I feel really comfortable with it. I still feel comfortable with my changeup, but I know going forward, I got to have that as my equalizer uh, going forward off that fastball. And I, I got to ask this question because leading, reading some of the draft reports with you and, and following your career going into the draft in 2018, one of the things that constantly came up was how good of a basketball player you were. Now, let's say you would have bucked the family tra- tradition and instead of choosing baseball, you chose basketball. What do you think you would be doing right now? And what do you think you would be averaging you know, let's say you were coming off your sophomore year last year. Or I guess it might have been your freshman year. But uh, wait, what would you be averaging in the NCAA, you think? Oh, yeah, I, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'd be like – I'd be those guys off of that Monmouth team, that was, the Monmouth team that was doing all the crazy, like, three-point basket makes and stuff <laughs> like that. I'd probably be on the bench doing a lot of that stuff. But – uh I'm just I, I I would probably honestly I would have tried to like walk on somewhere like a Duke or somewhere just to be in that gym oh, and dude. just get to do all that and just I, I would probably I'd probably end up being a Cameron crazy on the bench but I'd be having an absolute blast. You get your own uniform that way, so, so it's the best of both Absolutely. worlds, really. Yeah, there you go. All right, well uh, Ryan, we'll we'll end on this one. Um, We've asked guys a lot lately about what's their favorite minor league memory. I'm going to ask you a slightly different version of that. Um, you are getting to pitch right now. You're getting to do so in a major league stadium, which is awesome. Um, but you got a little bit of the taste of, of the minors last year and even smaller taste two years ago. When you think back 
to this summer when you weren't pitching and you weren't going through the motions on on a real mound? What did you miss most about minor league baseball? Oh, no question, just being around the guys. Uh, my best memory is it's dumb, but you know our bus broke down. We were coming back from Bowling Green to Fort Wayne. And, uh, you know, as much as we were mad, it was one of the funniest things that's ever happened. But just being around the guys, I mean, that's just – it's just fun. Just being around the guys, it's fun. Get to joke around, play cards. And, you know, I mean, half the time you get to the field a couple hours early just to hang out. And, like, I don't know, I just feel like that way, you know, you build those good relationships and you're just – you're raising the system together to, like, you're just breeding for success. And, you know, that's that's probably what I miss the most is being around the guys. Left-handed pitcher Ryan Weathers, you can find uh, on Twitter at Ryan D. Weathers, and you can find in San Diego right now, although please keep your distance and wear a mask and do all those things if you do happen to find Ryan. And, uh, Ryan, congrats on all success uh, to this point, man, and enjoy uh, every minute of that experience out there. It's been uh, fun for us to see uh, all these prospect guys that we've been following for the last couple years you know, in big league stadiums and doing big league things and uh, can't imagine how cool it is for you guys. So enjoy it, and, uh, and best luck. We'll be following along as it happens. All right, thank you. For those of you who uh, subscribed to the show before the show premium, we got a, a really good segment for you this week, which we uh, discussed last week, that we're going to start cutting out our conversation before the conversation with Ben Hill and providing it for, uh, I think Sam said it has to be his yearly salary is the subscription fee. So you can triple that. Um, because there are three of us on this. But for those of you who subscribe, a lot of good stuff coming this week as we welcome in Benjamin Hill. Hi, Ben. Hey, Sam, and hey, Tyler, and uh, a special welcome to all premium content subscribers who are definitely getting their uh, their money's worth. It's a lot of money. But it's, it's, it's totally a real it. thing that we're doing. Um, <laughs> let's, let's dive in. Uh, Ben's got the latest edition of uh, Minor League Circuit Fun Facts as we dive into the Class A short season ranks with the New York Penn League, uh, a 14-team league, which, of course, resides, uh, as you would imagine, mostly in New York and Pennsylvania, but has expanded out beyond that footprint. We talked um, with the International League and the Pacific Coast League about the fact that they have teams that are neither international in the International League nor on the Pacific Coast and the Pacific Coast League. Uh, the New York Penn League is somewhat that way, and there's some really good stuff uh, in this story, as there are in all of these league fun fact stories, one of which is one of my favorites from any that we have had so far in this series, and it is the very first team uh, in the New York Penn League alphabetically, the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who had a fantastic story about the very first pitch thrown in franchise history, which I had never heard before. Yeah, and you know, I've been. This is the New York Penn League is what the eleventh out of what will be fourteen installments in this league by league series, and you know, as it's gone on, I've gotten some people sending me emails suggesting certain things I could include in future editions. But you know, by and large, I'm I'm coming up with all these facts just by myself. But uh, shout out to the Aberdeen Ironbirds, specifically whoever is running their Twitter account, because I got a DM from them last week saying, hey. When's the New York Penn League Fun Facts coming out? And I said, you know, it's the next edition. They said, hey, do you take fun facts? And I said, hey, if you got a fun fact, I'm going to take it. And they uh, sent me this particular fun fact um, about, yes, and the Aberdeen Ironbirds' first season uh, was in 2002. And, uh, you know, it was a new team, new city, new ballpark, you know, co-owned by uh, the Ripken family, uh, Ripken Stadium. And so there's a lot of pomp and circumstance, and they had a ceremonial home plate. 
that they were planning to throw one pitch that would just, uh, you know, the batter would not swing, and uh, then that pit, that plate would be removed, and uh, they'd frame it, and it would be, you know, a great piece of memorabilia from this historic, very first Aberdeen Ironbirds game. Except you know, they're playing the Williamsport Crosscutters, and the first batter he either uh, didn't get the memo or he just decided to ignore it, which is fair. Uh, Domingo Quello, Quello. I'm not sure exactly how to say his name, but instead of letting this uh, first pitch pass, he hit a home run, circled the bases, and then stomped on home plate upon scoring it, at which point it was then removed. So the team still has this framed ceremonial home plate from the very first day in franchise history with the cleat mark of the opposing player who hit a home run on the very first pitch. So got to love that. And again, shout out to uh, Aberdeen Ironbirds Twitter for alerting me to that one, which I'd never uh, heard of before. And my favorite on this list is actually at the other end, alphabetically, with the Williamsport Crosscutters. You have a story about the great potato caper uh, with Bills. At the time, it was the Williamsport Bills, and they had a catcher, Dave Bresnahan, uh, who was keeping a baseball-esque potato in his pocket just in case he wanted to play that, like a hidden ball trick. Um, don't we all, as we have yeah, all done. Yeah. Well, that that was going to be my question. One was, what else can you tell us about about the great potato caper, Ben? But two, what's like the object you think you could hold other than a potato that could get away with this trick? That is a good question. Um, so what this guy did, Dave Bresnahan, I believe he might have had a nether glove with a potato that was, you know, peeled and rounded so it looked like a baseball. And I think in between batters, he ran in the dugout and swapped out his glove. And then from that glove took out this baseball that was actually a potato. And then after the pitch is thrown, he catches the baseball, but then throws the potato into the outfield uh, in left field. And the runner on third scored or thought he was going to score only to find the hand with the ball because he'd thrown, he kept the ball and thrown a potato into left field. Um, he was ejected from the game, I believe. He was actually released the next day. I think this was his very last action on a, as a professional baseball player. Uh, the run uh, ended up counting. The, the batter was not out due to Bresnahan's potato trick. It's it's just one of those classic baseball stories. You may have heard it before. This happened in 1987. That's a crazy um, thing to me. It's one of those classic baseball stories that you would think happened in 1904. It happened in 1987. Like, it's got such a, like, ah, the Wild West era of minor league baseball. This is back in the crazy days when they thought you'd get, you know, some sort of strange communicable disease if you slid wrong. This is like, this is 30-some years ago. It's not that far back. No, it does sound like something that would have happened in 1904 and would have had a very colorful write up in the local paper with all sorts of crazy terminology and ethnic based player names and all, you know, just a different, it just seems like it's from a, a different time for sure. Um, but yeah, 1987, uh, Williamsport was a double A team then, uh, of course they're, uh, near Penley class A short season now, but the crosscutters, uh, have commemorated that moment a lot of times through the years. Um, they even did have a, uh, Dave Bresnahan potato caper bobblehead one night and he came to the ballpark, did Dave Bresnahan and, uh, reenacted the play and I'm sure signed autographs and things like that. And then back to Sam's question, you know, I'm still struggling to think of something that would be better for that purpose than a kind of peeled potato because, you know, I think you, you have the whiteness and, you know, it would be, I don't know if you put seams on it, but it would have roughly the same color and size and something that you could fool someone, you know, very quickly if you just whizzed it over their head into the outfield. I can't think of a better 
thing. And that's why Dave Bresnahan is uh, immortalized today, you know, a uh, otherwise forgotten backup catcher who never made it beyond double A. We're talking about him 33 years later because he came up with what I, as far as I can tell, the, the perfect plan, the perfect crime. And I don't know if you guys can think of something, but I think a potato is a, a great idea. I think a rock is the only thing that really comes to mind, but yeah. like that's so much less fun. I was just like, yeah, I found a round yeah, rock that I kept in my for the story. Yeah. Or like maybe, I don't know, if you get like the rosin bag or something like that and you really pack it in and try, I don't, I don't know. I, like potato is just the perfect type of thing for this that makes you scratch your head and laugh at the same time. Now, I will say uh, to snuff out the uh, some of the legend about it in the story that Ben links to from the Philadelphia Inquirer from 2007, they do point out, because if you're reading this and thinking to yourself, this happened in 1987, there's no way that that falls within the rule book. Uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer did point out uh, when the runner, Reading Philly Rick Lundblade, ran home on the overthrow, Bresnahan tagged him out with the actual baseball. The ruse was quickly sniffed out, and Lundblade was awarded a run. Bresnahan was fined $50 and released the next day. So it wasn't like the umpire was just like, I don't know what happened. I guess you're out. Um, but it would be way cooler, and obviously had it happened, you know, in the ragtime era of baseball, Lundblade probably would have been called out. He would have chased the umpire into the parking lot and then, like, <laughs> beaten him up with, like, old corn cobs or something, and then it would have been in a book that uh, Tim Haggerty would write, and we would all love talking about it today. 1987, somebody was on top of the rule book. Unfortunately, some lame wet blanket who was the umpire and ruined the great potato caper. Uh, but that's a good one. And if you are a, uh, a fan of the New York Penn League, there's a lot of really good stuff uh, in this story, which is up on the site right now, uh, nmilb.com from Benjamin Hill. Um, there's one other one that I wanted to point out, uh, and it was about Auburn, which Auburn has one of the most interesting names in minor league baseball because they are named the Double Days after Abner Doubleday, who supposedly invented the game of baseball. He did not invent the game of baseball. That has been disproven for generations, and yet they named the team after him. Uh, but what's interesting is that they've also had nine different names uh, over a 62-year period dating back to uh, 1958 when they made their league debut. They have at various times been known as the Yankees, the Mets, the Twins, and the Phillies, uh, but also the Sunsets, the Red Stars, and the Americans, and they took uh, the name of the Astros for uh, for a little while as well, which is uh, nine names over a 62-year span for a team that's uh, been in the Class A short season New York Penn League. Some really good stuff uh, up on the site right now. Ben, there's something else that you're working on uh, that we were talking about before we started recording today. You've been keeping a thread on Twitter of sort of what would have been uh, on each night of minor league baseball for uh, promotions, front office promotions, and uh, clever things that teams were going for this weekend, and especially packed ones, so you're doing something different, correct? Uh, correct, yes. Um yeah, I've been doing this uh, what would have been night thread every day since uh, opening day, opening night when the season began. And, you know, I was looking through my uh, 2020 promo spreadsheet, which I used to make the thread and just kind of scanning through it. And I just saw, uh, especially this coming weekend, uh, you know, July 17th, 18th, 19th, that there were so many good promos happening. And it kind of got me wistful about what a, you know, action-packed time of year this is for minor league fans, all the crazy things that are happening. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take this, the idea of this thread, what would have been night, and combine it with my longest running column on MILB.com, which is promo preview, which I've written in various shapes and forms all the way back to 2006. And I thought to myself, you know, of course, I can't really write promo preview columns this year when there's no 
minor league promos happening because there's no minor league baseball season. But why don't I write a, write a promo preview column based on what this weekend would have been? So I'm taking uh, that Twitter premise that I've been doing every day uh, at Ben Biz, and uh, it'll be on the site uh, starting tomorrow. And it is, you know, it is bittersweet to uh, to write this article and put it together. You know, we have uh, just so much that was uh, going on. You know, a lot of staples. You know, nine Copa de la Diversion Diversion nights. I still can't say it as well as I should. <laughs> uh, but you had nine Copa nights, five Star Wars nights. Um, you know, Leslie David Baker, a.k.a. Stanley, on The Office. His latest uh, stop would have been uh, Fort Wayne Tin Caps on Friday. You had uh, uh, also on Friday, no, on Saturday, the 18th, you had Jaleel White, you know, better known as Urkel. You know, he was going to be in attendance at the Akron Rubber Ducks game, and there was an Urkel bobblehead as well with special guest Jaleel White, who has played him. You, know, you have things like that. You have uh, two Negro League nights, uh, Carolina Mudcats and Louisville Bats. You've got a whole host of player bobbleheads. You had at least seven of those. Um, alternate IDs like uh, Mahoning Valley, Peppers and Oil, the Round Rock Hairy Men, um, the Down East Wood Ducks have become the uh, would have become the uh, collared greens and debuted their new mascot cornbread, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So I'm writing a column that's just trying to synthesize all that, you know, categorize it, and just have a little fun with this, uh, you know, what would have been idea taking it off Twitter and onto the site proper. And uh, you know, if it goes well, if it gets a good response, you know, there's more where that came from, and I might do it a few more times uh, between now and Labor Day because there's a lot to sort of. Uh, it's not reminiscing. Uh, what is it? To uh, I don't know. We're just looking at this alternate reality and having some fun with it. And uh, you know, as minor league fans, I hope you, we can read articles like this and just think about uh, all the things we would be experiencing right now and have some fun with it. And you know, not feel too sad. There's a, a theory in like astrophysics that an infinite number of parallel alternate realities coexist all at the same time so i like to think about worlds that exist where like we are just having a conversation about like so what does this cornbread mascot look like and everything's normal maybe it is out there we never know just think about yourself uh in a world where everything is still okay uh maybe going to a game at granger stadium this weekend and cheering on the kinston collard greens and getting to meet cornbread that's what i'll do yeah, there's an alternate timeline where that uh, will be happening this weekend. So uh, if you cannot locate and uh, you know transpose yourself into or onto that timeline, no matter how, I don't know how it works exactly, then at least read my article, and it's the next best thing. You know, a comparable and uh, either up on the site or coming to the site soon, those two stories. Uh, Benjamin Hill you can find on Twitter at BenBiz. And uh, Ben, we'll do it again next week. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Tyler. And uh, as we were talking, it occurred to me that I should do my taxes. So I think that's next on my to-do list. <laughs> Enjoy that for the rest of your day. Don't worry. We're yeah. we're still doing this when there is time left. You might be listening to it on Friday, but Ben's going to get him. He's getting them done on time. Don't worry. I've got hours left before the deadline. I'm good to go. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Our uh, minor league writer spotlight this week uh, falls on a, a great writer and a fantastic story as Jordan Wolf joins us for a piece that I am very excited to grill him about in which uh, maybe, quite possibly, Dwight David Eisenhower played in the minor leagues at one time in his life. Jordan, what's going on? How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. How are you? 
We're good. Uh, so there is a uh, a piece that is up on the site right now, and if you haven't read it, you should go read it and uh, and then check back in with us for uh, for the rest of this interview. Um, but uh, the 34th president of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, a guy who would become known in his life not only as a president but as a Supreme Allied Commander uh, of Forces in Europe during World War II, basically uh, was the man responsible for the D-Day invasion and uh, one of the most legendary world leaders of all time, uh, may at one time have also been a minor leaguer. And this is a real thing. Um, Jordan, tell us about this story and sort of the, the genesis of it. This was all sparked by a comment that Dwight Eisenhower made at the Polo Grounds shortly after the end of World War II, World War II uh, to New York Giants uh, manager Mel Ott. But run us through... All of this and how this this whole thing even became, whether or not it is, it's true. Uh, it's an anecdote that is now part of history. Yeah. So, like you say, um, it all started with uh, Mel Ott, the player manager, I believe, at the time of the New York Giants, and this was shortly after the end of the war in Europe. And they came back. They had a big parade for Eisenhower, of course, because you know he was a total rock star, and he wanted to attend a baseball game because you know he had a big love for baseball his whole life. He had obviously missed it while overseas. So he came back, went to the game, and while he was at the game, he was talking to Mel Ott, and, you know, he probably had his guard down, you know, he was enjoying himself at the parade, he maybe had a couple drinks in him, who knows, and he let his guard down and told him that he played pro baseball for a summer under a fake name, Wilson, and there were some reporters within earshot, and so naturally, because that is an incredible story, they reported on it, and at first, they asked him later that day, and at first he was like, that's a secret, I'm not going to tell you about that. And he left, and then a few days later, he was back in Abilene, his hometown, and they natu- reporters naturally grilled him on it. They were like, you got to tell us more about this. So we told him a bit, and then later on in his life, he kind of denied it a little bit, and there are a few reasons why he might have done that. But even if you don't know it's true, whether or not, because we still don't know to this day whether or not it's true, I think it's still really fascinating. And like you say, it's still really just a really interesting like mystery part of you know baseball lore because there's thousands of interesting stories in baseball over the years and this i think is probably near the top of one of the more interesting ones in my eyes and especially because it is there's a, a terrific quote uh at the end of this story and i want everybody to read it so i don't want them to uh i don't want to spoil it for them but it's hmm. it's one of those things where um maybe because of the fact that it is not a story that we can nail down the the veracity of that makes it mm-hmm. all the more interesting but there were you mentioned that he he kind of denied this so he brings it up june 19th 1945 he gets back uh the the nazis are defeated and and europe is uh going to be put on a road of of, of reconstruction and the Marshall Plan and all that, um, he comes back and uh, and immediately is thrust back into this society where things are, you know, still relatively normal. Uh, and talking about his past, everybody wants to know so much more about Dwight Eisenhower. There were pretty substantial reasons at the time why he a would have had to play under an assumed name and b mm-hmm. theoretically would have had to deny that later on. So tell us about those. Yeah, so um, I think one reason why he might have denied it is if it was not true. But if it was true, like you say, there's it's actually way more fascinating to go down that rabbit hole because one could think, like you say, he had to play under an assumed name because he was going off to Army West Point later that year. And part of the Army West Point honor code that you have to take is that you will never lie. And if he, he played football at West Point, and, you know, in the NCAA, you obviously can't take you can't retain your amateur status if you take money for sports. So if he was paid to play baseball, he would have been ineligible to play football. But he did play football. So if he did take money for baseball, he would have had to have lied about it. 
So theoretically, one could deduce that if he did lie, he could have been kicked out of Army West Point. And if he had been kicked out of Army West Point, he probably would have just gone back to Kansas and, you know, worked on a farm or something. And if you continue to go down the rabbit hole, it's, well, then who would have taken his place? Who would have led the troops in World War II? Who would have, you know, led us through the Korean War? And you got it. You start to think of all these different things that could have happened, you know, the butterfly effect. It's, you know, maybe World War II goes differently. Maybe, you know, more, thousands of more people could have died in battle or, you know, it could have raged on for years and years. And so it's real. like you say, the fact that we don't know is really fascinating. But I think maybe the more fascinating part is to think of what could have become as a result. And so, uh, you know, like, I, like you said, I don't want to spoil too much of it. You can dive more into it, into the story. But I, I, I just really am fascinated not only by the story itself, but by the possible effects that it could have had. Yeah, which leads to one of my favorite sentences anybody's written for the site in a good long while. Tyler and I were joking about this this morning. Like Tyler signed on and I was immediately sending him this saying, you got to read this. We got to have Jordan on. But here's a sentence. The story is just that a rumor. But if it is true, it could have had ramifications that dramatically affected the course of his life and possibly the fate of the world. We don't talk about the fate of the world enough in minor league baseball. So that's, that's a phrase I want in all of your future stories. The Jordan. title that's of the story could have been how minor league baseball saved civilization. Yeah. A possible minor league <laughs> that's career. basically what we established here. Civilization. But beyond that, I, I want to get into this, this point about Wilson. And again, you don't have to spoil too much if you don't want to, but, um, Digging into this, you you talked to a historian who dug into the, the league records trying to find all the Wilsons. And there was one that could possibly be Ike, but that guy was bald and Ike wasn't bald at the time. Like, how how did they limit it down to, well, if he's telling the truth, it could be this guy? Yeah, it was really – I was really impressed by the work of that guy, Mark Haberly. He's a professor at Fort Hayes State, which is a nearby college. Um he like dove into like all these box scores and all these old records of games. You know, these are semi-pro, like barely organized teams from like 1910. And he found all these old records and he found all this old information of like, you know, people who, people who were from these other cities. So it couldn't have possibly been him. And, you know, he said he played under this name Wilson and he found, I don't remember exactly how many, like eight or 10 people named Wilson that played pro ball in Kansas. And, you know, they all either played, you know, they were from Nebraska or they, you know, were a first baseman or a pitch or something. They had all these things that disqualified them from being Eisenhower. But there was the one, Affy Wilson. He was known as Affy because he was apparently so affable. Um, he was the one that I guess he played in Abilene. So, it's you know, if you were really just looking at it at first glance, you could be like, oh, well, then that was Eisenhower. But like you say, hey, this Affy guy was bald. There's a photo of him, so it couldn't possibly have been him. But even more so, that guy was basically a local celebrity. Like everywhere he went, every city he played in, everybody loved him. He ended up managing teams for the last part of his life. And so Eisenhower clearly couldn't have been him because everybody would say, hey, wait a minute, that's not Dwight Eisenhower, that's Affy Wilson. And so it was really impressive the work that he really did, you know, looking at all these people. And I think that adds, you know, a lot more confusion and mystery because it's, and Eberly's conclusion was that he definitely could have played pro ball but not into the name Wilson. So, you know, that draws into the whole question of is the whole thing false or is that part not false? And so it just adds a whole other layer to the mystery and really makes it that much more, you know, exciting and mysterious, which I think is pretty great. And on a certain level, I feel like this couldn't happen now. Like, obviously, we have an entire site, right, about minor league baseball. Right. You couldn't. But is that 
like could somebody maybe pull this off in like a non Will Ferrell way? Like Will Ferrell mm-hmm. pitched an <laughs> inning in the minors a couple of years ago, and that was all fun and games, whatever. But like, what would we do as a site if the, if we found out like Barack Obama, by the way, pitched for <laughs> like Hawaii in the PCL or something something to that effect? Like, how do you think we would handle this? This is for both of you guys. Like, this is a pure discussion. What would we do if we found out somebody was randomly pitching in the Sally League? Man, that would be awesome. That would be, I mean, I could see that being like almost like a Sasha Baron Cohen, like kind of like, you know, social <laughs> experiment thing. Assumes a fake name, see how see how long he can go, you know, throughout the year. That'd be fascinating. That I think someone pretty, could do yeah. that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that always fascinates me about stories like this, it's always like, you know, I'm like a, a history nerd. And, you know, so you'll hear stories about like, oh, this guy fought in, in World War One at the age of 15. It's like, well, how did mm-hmm. that happen? He just walked into an enlistment office and told him he was 18. Like back in the day <laughs> when there were no records and there was no way to instantly verify facts, you could just claim to be anybody at any time. That's insane to us now. Right, yeah, no, and that's that is what makes part of me think that I want to believe that the whole thing is true that he did play yeah. under a fake name and went through a whole season is that it's entirely possible and unless you knew and even then if you were on the team you probably wouldn't have said anything you would have just let your buddy play with you but like it's entirely possible which makes it that much more exciting. The thing that is, uh, I think, cuts to the core of it is uh, you you point out yeah it's possible that this is all false. And then you have the quote, but why would he lie? And I think that's really the thing. Like, if you're Dwight Eisenhower at this stage of your life, you have just defeated uh, the largest fascist power in the history of the planet. You come home and all of a sudden Mel Ott is the guy that you're going to be like, oh, man, I got to make up something to seem cool to Mel Ott. (laughs) You just beat the Nazis. I don't really I don't buy that part of it. So I think that's the perfect argument. It's like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that Dwight Eisenhower would have just made this up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it certainly would make sense that maybe he embellished it a little bit to maybe right, kind of sound right. a, make it sound a little cooler, which is what, you know, if I'm really trying to peg down what I believe is the truth with this, I think that's probably the truth is that he lied a little bit. But, you know, like, yeah, like you say, like, I mean, he freaking defeated the Nazis. What has he got to lie about? <laughs> so, so Jordan, before we let you go, then let, let's have you lay percentages then. What What would you say? How likely is this to be true? Is it 75-25? Is it 60-40? Is it 90-10? Based on all your research and what you've done, which I, I, I appreciate that you presented it as a possibility. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't say it's one or the other. But now holding your feet to the fire on this podcast, is, which is what we do, what would, how would the percentages break <laughs> we down? We ask the hard questions. Yeah. You know, I might break it down. I might say – I might try to break it down further and say – it's 40% that it didn't happen and then maybe 30, 30 split on it happened versus it happened, but he exaggerated. And so part of me, cause you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I like to think I'm a fun guy. I like to, you know, and I like to enjoy things. So I, part of me wants to just be like, yeah, it's true. None of it's a lie. But I think when you look at it, you have to, I think you would have to probably settle on the fact that it's at least a little embellished if it is true. But I, 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 would, I would not go as far as to say that I am totally sold on it being fake. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, I would say around 50-50 maybe total. The truth always seems to lie somewhere in the middle. And uh, this is a, just an awesome story that's up on the site right now. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower maybe at one time a member of the Central Kansas League. 
in uh, what was then the the very infancy of anything resembling our modern day version of minor league baseball. But uh, Jordan Wolf, who you can find on Twitter at by Jordan Wolf, uh, just a fantastic piece. And uh, thanks so much for coming on to to take us through it, man. This was fun. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks for having me on to share the story. Before we get out of here, uh, one thing that you should do while bored at your job on this uh, day in which you're listening to this podcast, and really any other time, visit the MILB Fan Lounge, your destination for all things fun. Play home run derby and test your minor league baseball knowledge with trivia on Tuesdays. And did we mention there will be exclusive prizes given out to one lucky fan each month? Visit MILBFanLounge.com today. Uh, final segment on this week's episode of the show. I wonder what other presidents have played in the minor leagues. You know, oh, there's got you know somebody else. You know, like you know, I don't know. Teddy Roosevelt probably had some great. Woodrow Wilson probably had some baseball story in the background. Oh, uh, probably. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking like Again, Jack Kennedy era, somewhere. Yeah, you never know. Although the back problems with him. I'm reading a Kennedy biography right now. So, man, that guy's <laughs> back. I don't know how he did anything. Um. Yeah, if you uh, from you know you're talking about like oh, maybe yeah, Barack Obama could have played in the in the Hawaii back when Hawaii had a PCL team or something like that. If you had to pick the uh, the president that you would most like, I feel like Barack Obama probably could have been. We all saw the the first pitch in the dad jeans uh, in in Chicago at whatever that ballpark was called at the time, New Comiskey. Um, I feel like you know he's got long levers. He's tall. I feel like he probably could have been a decent pitcher. Uh, he, we all he know he was a baller. If, we all know he was a basketball player. But if he was going to play baseball. Right. I, I think if somebody would have gotten him early and said, listen, right now you're on the path to becoming president of the United States. What if I could tell you? <laughs> you could be a you White Sox draft pick. In the yeah. 62nd round of the Major League Draft. In maybe, maybe we could get there. 80 whatever. <laughs> but it wasn't like George H.W. Bush. Wasn't he like the catcher for yeah, Yale? At Yale. He was. Yeah. He was. So he, like. Uh, when he was vice president, uh, this is one of those, and you've got, I'm sure, way more of these than I do, but one of those stories that you think, oh, I'm going to try to write that for MILB, and then kind of leads fall apart or you get turned down or whatever it is. When uh, George H.W. Bush was vice president in the 80s, he actually played uh, in a celebrity old-timers baseball game at Mile High Stadium in Denver and apparently was, like, really good still. And uh, when he in his last few years on Earth, I uh, emailed his... Uh, press person essentially through the the presidential library and got a really really nice email back like the next day and they basically said like you know due to his age and his health he doesn't really do a whole lot of interviews so we'll have to turn you down but um you know really really cool uh email to get back and they were very friendly about it but yeah like a really accomplished athlete you know gerald ford played uh i was gonna say gerald ford yeah yeah he was a he was a college football player um yeah didn't he play for the lions too did he actually uh, play in the NFL? Did he? Oh, I don't. I never. I don't think I knew that part. If he did, no, uh, maybe I not. He, I might be making that up. I think he made but, that up. <laughs> um, but still, like there were legit athletes who were. Yeah, there's some athletes. You know. Yeah, I would. I would have loved to have seen what Abe Lincoln could have done. You want to talk about long levers? That's true. That is true. Or um, put put Teddy Roosevelt behind the plate. I mean. <laughs> Just the or for first base, like the jabber he would give to opposing runners, would just be fantastic. I mean, the eyesight, like obviously, the guy, 
the guy had to wear glasses, whatever. But you want to talk about somebody who's rugged and could go through a 162-game season and come out the other end, Teddy Roosevelt would be so much. uh, He is the only president that is also a minor league team logo. uh, I'm just saying, the guy's already playing minor league baseball. It's Teddy yeah. Roosevelt, and it was because his. If you look at the mechanics of the Frisco Rough Riders logo, his swing makes zero sense. He is swinging left-handed, but somehow his left foot is in front of his right foot. Like none of it makes any sense. But um, I actually had a clarification on that. I read a clarification on that uh, from Brandios, the people who designed that logo and so many other minor league logos, and they said essentially Teddy Roosevelt's son was a was a big baseball player, and uh, and Teddy Roosevelt said he didn't really understand the game. Uh, but he he was very supportive of it because his son loved the game so much. So he was enthusiastic, but he didn't really get baseball, and thus a swing in which your feet are somehow backwards. I guess mm. you know that I, makes sense. While we're doing clarifications, I do want to point this out. Gerald Ford apparently got offers from the Lions and the Packers. Never actually suited up in the NFL, but good enough to get an offer. So I'm not fully off. Again, the truth always somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there you go. And that that ties a nice little bow in this week's episode. But before we fully tie the bow, uh, a nationwide prospect fun fact from Sam Dykstra. Yeah, so we'll keep on this one really short it's just something to think about going on to the next week and like i did last week i'll I'll pose you a question afterwards tyler about it but uh, i went back every year we do a story we'll do one next week as well top 100 prospects on major league opening day rosters last year in 2019 there were 12 there were 12 top 100 prospects so do the math that's exactly 12 percent it's very easy math to do uh 12 percent of the top 100 was on a major league opening day roster last year Tyler, do you are you going to take the over or the under on I'm that? Taking the over. I'm taking the over. I think it's such a, a weird time that uh, there are going to be organizations who say, you know what, we're going to try this guy uh, on the squad, even though in a normal year maybe we wouldn't. Um, now, all that being said, there is a little bit of cheating because when you look up and down the, the list, there are several guys who are already going to be in the big leagues that we know to start the season. Gavin Lux will be there. Luis Robert will be there. Joe Adele will probably be there. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is going to be there. Jesus Luzardo, perhaps. A.J. Puck. So there's a lot of guys that we already know are going to be uh, more than likely on big league rosters. But I think there is going to be a more creative mind in major league front offices to say, no, maybe this guy hasn't played above high A, but he's been crushing it in, in summer camp, and we want to get him some big-time action. Let's see what he's got. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the over on 12%. What are you doing? Yeah, just another clarification here. We're not going to count guys who are on the IL. So Hazel Suzardo yeah. currently on the technical right, right, IL, true. the COVID IL. Um, so we won't count that just for – for clarity's sake, but yes, Uzardo would certainly, in normal times, be on the opening day roster. AJ Puck looks like he will be with cut hair. By the way, AJ Puck, yeah, I don't know if he so listens to the show. Why did you cut the hair? The he hair was said, awesome. Uh, somebody didn't recognize him at A's camp, and he told him, "Oh, I came over in the Mateo trade. They traded Jorge <laughs> Mateo, and he apparently just told someone, oh, I'm a, I'm a new acquisition.'" <laughs> That's like the the most modest version of the Dustin Pedroia story, where like somebody didn't recognize Dustin Pedroia, so he told him go go ask Jeff Francis, he knows who I am. <laughs> AJ Puck just being like, yeah, I guess I'm the new guy is hilarious. Um, but yeah, I think expanded rosters they're going to be at 30 to start, so that's certainly going to help the case of some guys. There are guys like Alec Bohm, uh, who the DH might come into play. We now have new openings for hitters all across yeah. the National League. That could certainly help. 
Um, there are some guys on the edge right now. Joey Bart, you know, Buster Posey chose to opt out for a very legitimate reason. And congrats to his family and the expansion, adding two twins and his decision to take the year off. Wholly understand that that could open up an avenue to Joey Bart. We'll see. I'm sure Joey Bart will get major league time. Is that going to be on opening day? We'll have to find out about that. Dylan Carlson feel like every day I'm reading a new story about how he continues to look like one of the best outfielders for the Cardinals. They continue to say we want to be smart with this and give the other guys a shot, but I, I feel like that's going to be more difficult to hold off, especially in a 60-game season in which every game counts so much more. Um, so, yeah, we'll break down everybody uh, next week. Hopefully we get some answers by then, what, by the time of recording, on who exactly made the cut. But I feel like I feel pretty safe in saying it's going to be over 12 for 2020. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it's going to be fun. It'll be uh, an exciting run up to the start of the season with uh, everything hopefully staying right on track and uh, big thanks everybody who joined us this week from a guy who's uh, making a big impact in his summer camp in Ryan Weathers who again you can find uh, on Twitter at RyanDWeathers25 and as well Benjamin Hill and Jordan Wolf. big thanks to them and for Sam Dykstra I'm Tyler Mom. we'll talk to you next week 